Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books of Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk with Ron Schmidt, who's the author of Newcomers, Outsiders, and Insiders, Immigrants and American Racial Politics in the Early 21st Century. Ron, how are you doing? I'm fine. Ron, it's a, a real interesting read. Um, it's a, a big book, uh, not necessarily in length, but in what you guys try to cover. Um, there's just so many threads that are running through this, um, a truly ambitious Project. Um, before we get to the book, maybe you can just talk a little bit about who you are, where you are, uh, what your what your background is, what led you to, to write this book. Okay. Well, um, I'm a professor of political science at California State University in Long Beach, and actually, I just recently retired from Cal State Long Beach. And uh, but I've taught I taught at Cal State Long Beach for 40 years. And I initiated a course. I've always been interested in racial politics in the United States. Having grown up in California, I always perceived racial politics to involve more than a black-white paradigm because I believe in California politics, it's never just been a black-white paradigm. So I think that influenced my perceptions. But in any case, uh, when I began teaching at Cal State Long Beach, in 1972, I, I wasn't teaching racial politics, but I was very interested in it and doing some research on it. Later, I started a course on it, and ultimately, in the mid-1990s, I was one of the founding members of the APSA's Organized Section on Race, Ethnicity, and Politics. And there I met several others who became my co-authors, in this project, and I want to give full credit to my co-authors. This really was a jointly produced book. Um, Yvette Alex Asenso, who was at University of Indiana at the time we wrote the book. She's now at the University of Oregon, where she's the Director for Diversity. I think she's an Associate Vice President or something like that. Um, Andrew Aoki, who teaches at Augsburg College in Minnesota, and Rodney Hero, who was chair of political science at Notre Dame when we started and is currently at University of California, Berkeley, uh, as a professor there. So anyway, we, we met each other as members of REP, Race, Ethnicity, and Politics section. And in 2002, the president of APSA was um, Robert Putnam, and he proposed a theme for the APSA conference which we thought our uh, work would make a contribution to. So we proposed to do a paper in which we would ask the question, what has political science learned about the impact of recent immigration on American racial politics? So we tried to write a paper focused on that question and immediately discovered that it was too huge a topic to cover in one paper. So we tried to actually publish the paper in Perspectives on Politics, but the paper was too long and yet too short. 
And so we decided to turn it into a book. And so that was in 2003, by the time we made that decision. We met several times at Notre Dame when Rodney Hero was the department chair. He hosted us, and we had workshops uh, at Notre Dame where we just basically hammered out the theme of the book, and that ultimately led to the book that um, Heath has just read. So yeah. I'll stop there. Yeah, and the book has, um, I gather, recently been issued in, in paperback and is, is now widely available. This collaboration um, shows up in the book. It's, it, you cover just so many different nooks and crannies of the, of the literature and data, and, and it makes it a really interesting read. You begin the book by connecting two years, um, 1963 and 2006. Right. So as a way to get started with talking about the book, what, what connects these two years together for racial politics in the U.S.? Well, we decided to use two what we consider to be really big events in American racial politics history uh, to show how American racial politics has been transformed over, over some 50 years. In uh, 1963, we focused on the March on Washington, at, at which uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. made his now um, so famous speech that everyone has heard excerpts from it, uh, his I Have a Dream speech. But that was a huge um, gathering in Washington, D.C., a, a demonstration on behalf of the Civil Rights Act, which was then subsequently passed in 1964, um, that we consider to be a signature event in, in the development of, of African-American political participation and power. And in 2006, there was actually a whole series, nationwide series, of demonstrations in the streets on behalf of unauthorized immigrants who were being targeted by a, by a proposed law in the House of Representatives during that year, and actually it was passed the House of Representatives in 2005, and it was slated for um, discussion in 2006 in the Senate, and there were a whole series of demonstrations involving literally millions of people all over the country. Once again, these demonstrations were um, characterized um, as a protest demonstration, as a demonstration on behalf of a particular constituency, but it was a racialized constituency that had been transformed over 50 years and was now predominantly Latino and Asian American. So we use that as just a way of getting people's attention, getting the reader's attention to the notion that there's been a major transformation in American racial politics over the past 50 years and that immigration has been the driving force in this transformation. Yeah, and a lot has, has changed over that time period, and we've heard recently about the increases in immigration over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, but, but you note in the book that the geography of immigration has changed of late. So uh, what is this rapid growth in Latino population in, in cities like Fort Myers, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, Indianapolis, Indiana, places that we don't typically associate with immigration? How does this change our understanding of immigrant politics? Does it compel us to reformulate what we think uh, immigrant politics and racial and ethnic politics are all about at all? Yes, and I, and I think we don't yet fully understand how this is going to change racial politics in the United States or immigrant politics. 
Um, I think basically what Keith is referring to is the fact that the recent census data from both the 2010 census and from the 2000 census indicate that immigrants, recent immigrants, those that have come in since 1965, are no longer settling in what were formerly known as the primary entryway destination states for immigrants. And these were basically on, on the West Coast for both Latinos and Asian Americans and the, and the East Coast. More recently, the immigrants have been settling uh, all over the United States. And in, in the, some of the largest growth areas, as, as you mentioned, are in the South, in the Southern states. These are areas that, with the exception of Florida, these are areas that have had heretofore relatively few Hispanic or Latino immigrants, relatively few uh, Asian American immigrants, Asian immigrants. And so, as a result, um, these are areas that are, for the first time, experiencing significant growth in the Latino population and, to a lesser extent, the Asian American population. And that is going to change the politics. How it's going to change the politics remains to be seen. Uh, the patterns of conflict and collaboration between peoples of color in in uh, the eastern cities, in northeastern cities, in, in the Midwestern, like Chicago, and in western cities, southwestern cities, uh, are, are relatively established. But uh, in these new areas, where, what are called new destination states, the patterns haven't yet emerged, and so we're not quite sure how it's going to emerge. What we do claim in the book is that uh, whereas most of the country, particularly east of the Mississippi, has understood racial politics to be biracial historically, that is black-white, the black-white paradigm, uh, in the West it's been more a multiracial paradigm because of the significant role of Asians in in Western politics, the significant role of Hispanics in the areas taken from Mexico in uh, in 1848, uh, that pattern, we think, is going to be, in other words, racial politics is going to be much more complex throughout the country, not just in the areas where it was multiracial before. Uh, one of the classic takes on, on these issues is, is Robert Dahl. Um, and, and you, you re, uh, reference his work a number of times. So how well does, does Dahl's formulation hold up to your analysis, to his conclusions about ethnic politics in New Haven, related all to ethnic politics in Tennessee or Virginia or one of these new gateway cities that you described? Is there, does, what can we take from, from that classic work to understanding politics today? Well, one of the points we make is that Dahl uh, mostly accepts racial politics from his analysis in New Haven. Uh, that is to say, he understood racial politics to be about blacks and whites, and he doesn't really focus on it. He explains in a footnote that they're really not part of his analysis. Subsequent scholars, um, particularly the, the, the uh, sort of touchstone analysis for our book, is the Browning, Marshall, and Tab uh, analysis uh, of, that, that sort of takes the racial question and asks, uh, based on Dahl's own pluralistic approach, uh, takes Dahl's approach and But at the time uh, Browning, Marshall, and Tab wrote, there were very few Hispanics 
even in California, who were politically engaged, and Hispanics didn't really play much of a role in his in their analysis. Uh, we think that that's all changing now. Exactly how it's going to change, we're not sure. We proposed four possible scenarios for the future uh, of racial politics in the United States based on the impact of immigrants. And the first of these is individual assimilation. The second is ethno-racial pluralism. And Dahl's analysis basically argued that ethnic politics in New Haven was pluralistic. The other two possible scenarios are biracial hierarchy and multiracial hierarchy. Now, Dahl did not analyze race, as I mentioned, uh, and so he focused on the incorporation of immigrants into a pluralistic pattern. A pluralistic pattern assumes a relative level, relatively level playing field between the ethno-racial groups involved in the politics. Uh, what we argue is that the evidence available so far indicates that there, that, that multiracial hierarchy remains a real probability for the future of American politics. Um, I, I can't comment on specific cities because we don't have the evidence yet on how that's going to play out. But, uh, if you look at the patterns nationwide, the, you can find evidence for all four of our future scenarios. There is pluralist politics taking place, but at the specific level of the city, we didn't have the space in, in this very sweeping book to address them at that level. Yeah, and, and I think very much to that point, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about the book is, is that you come back again and again to the heterogeneity across immigrant communities. Right. Um, Asian Americans in particular have been treated as a homogeneous group and often described in very positive terms and we've heard the model minority myth used uh, to describe this. Do these pan-ethnic or pan-immigrant terms really help or harm our, our ability to understand this arena of politics? Does it, does it help to refer to Asian American politics and Hispanic or Latino American politics or is there a better way to to divide things up? Well, that's a very good question, Heath, and a very contentious one in, in uh, among scholars who study this. And I would have to say that I don't think it, there's a clear answer to your question yet, at least not in my mind. Um, it, I think that to to some degree, pan-ethnic politics is a reality. Uh, if you if you look at the survey research being done on Asian Americans. Um, more than half of whom are immigrants. Uh, if you look at the research done on Latinos, public opinion, again, a very significant percentage, less than half, but not much less than half, are immigrants. Um, what you find is that there is no clear answer to the question of identity. To the degree that, that uh, members of these groups are being racialized in the United States, that is, they're being lumped together uh, so that if you are Chinese origin, for example, you might be called uh, Japanese or at a certain point in time, vice versa. Uh, if, if you're, uh, in other words, people don't make those distinctions and you feel the effects of prejudice and discrimination, then that's going to cause a greater degree of, of um, affinity. One, one of the findings I found very powerful in my own research has been that the degree of ethnic identity tends 
tends to reflect how much opposition there is to that ent- uh, identity on the part of others. So that to the degree that that exists, I think pan-ethnic racial identities are real and they are reflected in the research. But for most people, particularly immigrants, they don't really have a strong sense of identity as members of pan-ethnic groups. They have those identities, but their most important, in most cases, their most important uh, identity has to do with their national origins. So, for example, if Filipinos identify as Filipinos, they, al- they also identify as Asian or Asian Americans. Um, but you have to, again, remember that, that p- people in Asia make up more than half the population of the entire world, and there are literally hundreds of different cultures and nation- nations in that realm. Similarly with, uh, with Latinos, there, there is a, a, a large variation, and there are many, uh, probably more differences between Cuban Americans and Mexican Americans than there are similarities, although there are similarities. So it is a very complex picture. Um, but I think to, to put the question uh, backwards, I, I think that we would lose a lot of understanding of American racial politics if we completely stopped talking about Latinos and if we stopped talking about Asian Americans, because those are realities in politics as well. Yeah, it seems to me that one of the, um, that what both, both makes it so very interesting, but also so complex and confusing, you know, are all of these, these differences. And, and the closer you get, the, the clearer it becomes uh, that there are, cultures on top of cultures and languages on top of languages. And it it seems that the the major political parties struggle the most with this, that they they often seem um, a little baffled about what to do with this complexity. Um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about that relationship between these various groups and the traditional political parties and the, the more traditional modes of uh, political participation and, and some of the, the gaps that you identify in the book uh, between the two? Again, a very good question. I, I guess my, what first pops into my mind is that the what, what you call the traditional approaches of political parties to these groups, th- those traditional approaches have been breaking down for a long period of time. Uh, as we know, political parties are not what they used to be. And particularly political parties as organizations that were dedicated to trying to to get more voters and one of the ways they did so historically was to try to recruit immigrants and immigrant groups into their party organizations that process has not been operating for a very long time so much of the political incorporation of both Asian immigrants and Latino immigrants has been done by ethnic organizations more than with political parties. For example, the National Association of Latino Elected Officials has devoted considerable resources as have have other uh, similar kinds of political interest groups to trying to mobilize and incorporate uh, new Latino voters to to help them naturalize, for example. Similar things have happened among Asian American groups. So the political parties haven't been playing the role they have historically. And so that makes for a more difficult equation. I mean, one one of the results that everyone has been talking about since the 2012 election is that Republicans have had a wake-up call and that unless they begin to figure out ways to 
recruit Latino voters uh, and Asian American voters, they're in for trouble in the future. Um, I think that's true, but I think that's true because not because the parties haven't been working to incorporate them in traditional ways, but particularly because of the anti-immigration rhetoric that has been so powerful among Republican officeholders in the last 10 years or so. You know, as I, as I hope it uh, is clear, I, I really enjoyed the book, and, and there's just so much in it. Um, it's just chock full of, of just so many interesting stories, and just on each one of the the different um, ethnicities, you tell such such interesting stories, both in anecdotes, but also relating that to some some very interesting data. Um, is there a next project for you? You described at the start some of your career trajectory, um, but but uh, is this something that you will stay with at all uh, uh, in in the years to come? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I have been working for the past three years or so on a new project which may or may not result in a book, I'm not sure yet. Uh, but it, this is on a, a, the, the um, it's actually a, a kind of critical discourse analysis of the arguments between what I call exclusionists and inclusionists in relation to undocumented immigrants. I'm trying to look at what are the bases for the arguments being made and how can they be critically assessed made by both inclusionists and exclusionists when it comes to undocumented immigrants. So that's my current project. Well, I sure hope that, that when that project turns either into an article or hopefully a book, you'll come back and, and talk about the book. Uh, it, until then, um, we can all read Newcomers, Outsiders, and Insiders, Immigrants and American Racial Politics in the Early 21st Century, published um, in paperback by University of Michigan Press this year, available, I'm sure, at their website. Ron, thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. I appreciate it. <laughs>